Hello. Hello. Welcome to what is this now? I'm just. Uh, How, now you're like me. Now you can't remember what episode we're on. Episode 23. I, I knew it was 23, but I just want to make sure. <laughs> that's the kind of guy I am, you know. So episode 23 yes. of Unexceptional Americans. I'm Ethan Bird. And I am Nick Donahue. And Nick Donahue just attended a protest a little over 24 hours ago yes. in the great city of Asbury Park, New Jersey. So City, town. I tend to call it a town, but it is pretty big. It's a large it's town. <laughs> um, I, I went to Asbury Park, the historic hometown of one Danny DeVito in Monmouth County, New Jersey. Wow. And um, very uh, culturally significant place. There was the first sort of major protest in my area around there, um, organized by a group that seemed to form sort of ad hoc, like right now, like literally they formed, I think like over the weekend, this wasn't like a, organized by an organization or a group that had previously uh, existed before all this started. There, it was literally just a group called Justice for George Floyd. And as far as I know, it's like a Facebook group that formed. Um, and whoever like was, whoever made it was a, probably a group of activists and in in organizers in the area who managed to get a permit for a, for what was a rally and then a march. Um, it was in front of the police, it was in front of the post office, the police station was nearby. Um, and I have to say, it went pretty well in terms of, um, you know, not breaking down into chaos or ending in violence. Um, around, I would say there were, around, there were close to 2,000 people in the Facebook group who said, who clicked, you know, going, and around another short of two, then about another 2,000, I think, that said interested. Um, I'm not sure what the overlap is in terms of that. Um, and I'd say, judging by how many people were there, there were a lot of people there. I'd say over 2,000 people. Um, it was huge, well attended. Well, not like huge, huge, but very large, very well attended, um, especially for the area. People came from all over. For example, I, I don't live in Asbury Park, for example. I live a few towns away, but I think people from a few towns away were coming from all over. People from Neptune, which is a, I think, larger town, uh, borderline small city that's to the south of Asbury Park. Um, both Asbury Park and Neptune are known for having historically large African-American communities, which, as is the case in many places, that African-American community tends to be on the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder. Um, and so, and because of that, have historically been sort of hotbeds of discontent. Um, Asbury Park, however, is a place that is rapidly gentrified. Um, it's home to a boardwalk, one of the state's most famous boardwalks here on the shore and that area the sort of boardwalk district a few blocks going in a few blocks has sort of rapidly developed over the past few years especially the blocks that are on the boardwalk itself like they are across the street from it from the, the boardwalk and the beach um it's sort of a stereotype that you know like the the rich gays moved in 
um, where the rich white gays moved in and bought a bunch of places there to like retire or whatever. Um, it's sort of the stereotype about the area because obviously over time, like there is a, and I can tell you as someone who goes there frequently, there is an oddly disproportionately large amount of gay people there. Um, so pride is always huge and pride month is huge. Um, for example, at, a, at the rally yesterday, um, I even heard people who weren't in the march um, like joking to themselves, hey, is this the pride parade? Um, because obviously yesterday was June 1st and it was the beginning of Pride Month. Um, things seem to be going really well. We rallied at, um, I think it's the post office. Um, on the steps of the post office is where a bunch of speakers are gathered with presumably the organizers and sort of local activists. Uh, a lot of people spoke. Asbury Park's mayor, who I believe they said she's the first black woman to have been elected mayor of Asbury Park, gave a short speech. Um, the bishop of the uh, Greater New Jersey Conference of the United Methodist Church gave a speech. Um, and that is a, a Bishop Scholl, uh, John Scholl, a man who I know personally, um, is he was very progressive. Um, Northern Methodists tend to be that way and um he gave a lovely little speech there were so many other act local activists who gave their own speeches as well um that you know and, and what they did was really you know they, they got people fired up they got people chanting they got people excited and people there wasn't a whole lot of talk about the riots and the violence and the police suppression um, and I would say overall, the police in Asbury Park, despite having, historically speaking, definitely, um, definitely in the past, a worse, reputa a worse reputation than they have now, generally still having a fairly problematic uh, reputation. The city as a whole ha does um, in general. Uh, in the 60s, I mean, Asbury Park, um, in the wake of the King assassination and repeatedly was, had, had, um, you know what? What are what we now call race riots? There were several of them that you know rocked the city, and um, the, you know the police response you know sort of left a mark on their reputation. Local government has traditionally also been has a reputation for let's just put it mildly corruption. Um, so you know local government and police don't necessarily have the best rep in the area. Um, so it, it was a pleasant surprise that police, um, they were at the event in their normal dress uniform. Um, they were pleasant, they were, they were pleasant and accommodating. Some of them looked a little worried and a little stressed because obviously I think a lot of them probably were, are worried that um, things could escalate and they wouldn't be prepared. If, if things got out of their control, then they wouldn't be prepared. Um, but obviously, um, things during the day went really, really well. About 2,000 people, probably more, marched. Or we were at the rally and then we went off and marched. Um, I was with a family member who, you know, cannot march very far. And the march started like after 
after like a good two and a half hours of hearing people speak at the rally. So we were there for a while and we were hungry. So we left, I would say, fairly early. Um, we, we peeled off from the march and you know, headed back. Um, and at that point, you know, things were, and I mean, like you, you, so you see all the types of people you see at a protest. You see people um, who look, who are still dressed like the, like the emo scene in 2006 never disappeared. You see people um, fully covering their faces and their heads because I don't, I guess through preparing early on. Um, you have the white people who can't help but interrupt speakers to yell fuck Donald Trump at any mention, at anything that might slightly reference him. Um, and you have um, LARPy looking kids um, carrying around signs that say 1312 and A cab, which, you know, I don't have that much of a problem with, but I don't have much of a problem with any of those things. I think a lot of those people are, are pretty cool, but you know, it, it does get a little LARPy and it does give off this sort of, there were a few moments where you sort of get the vibe that a lot of, you know, white liberals, of course, usually have been talking, the white liberals who decided to take a side against the protests, um, they're sort of talking point about how like, you know, like, oh, there's these like white LARPers who are ruining it for everybody else and who aren't really um, in touch with the way the, the quote unquote black community feels. Um, and you can sort of see a divide. I uh, also really couldn't. Um, you know, and I think you're going to get LARPers at any protest of any kind. And I obviously prefer left-wing LARPers to anything else. Um, the protest, the march went, the march looked like it went well. Um, while I was walking back down the sidewalk, though, uh, we were crossing the street. And right as that happened, they, the march had apparently looped around the block that we had just walked past and we were very confused like wait what and we saw some people sort of skip out into an intersection where they were moving vehicles like the people at the front of the march kind of like ran into an intersection with moving traffic and the cops were clearly not prepared for that um and they the cops had to rush into the intersection to halt traffic and and you know keep everybody keep the cars that were like you know like these cars are having to like slam on their brakes because people are running in front of them um and clearly they took a sort of they were taking a detour because you know we kept walking down the sidewalk and some guy with a camera who was clearly prepared because he knew the route that they were supposed to take officially knew was expecting them to come back down in his direction and he would catch more footage of them and then you know he was asking people like us and a couple other people around us who were coming back you know like where, where are they now where are they going they should be here by now and they were like oh no no they took a turn up that street and um clear and when we got back to the point where the rally was where the march had started from there was still a huge crowd there too people who i guess had never left and there were still speakers going um still speaking so i guess you know two divergent things were kind of happening um and the cops that were still around at an initial starting point looked a little distressed and they were hearing things on their walkie-talkies that clearly worried them about the but the march taking a detour that hadn't been planned on, it hadn't been expected. But the police were accommodating, and they let it happen. Um, they 
they um, let things uh, happen. And apparently people were marching around and marching around. I'm not really sure how that worked until curfew. Um, at which time there, according to what I know, there were only about a hundred people left, which is a dramatic reduction. Um, and then um, at eight o'clock, that's when the riot police apparently just showed up out of nowhere, just kind of like materialized and shut everything down and started arresting people for not being around, um, for, for not leaving um, during curfew. And um, that was, of course, a certain situation. Um, there, there were certain, you know, physical altercations, I think, that took place as a result of those arrests. And clearly they had prepared for the worst to happen. The worst didn't happen. According to people I know who, la who stayed, um, it seemed like the only people who were really left were, and this sort of makes sense, when you know you have a crowd of over two thousand people, is when you start off with, and you dwindle down to a hundred several hours later, the people who are left are the people who, and this is a type of person that does exist. We have to be honest here: are troublemakers, are mischievous, are looking for something crazier to happen than what happened during the day. Uh, my one of my friends who was late there, who was there late, said it looks like there was only about a hundred people left, and the people who were left were like really fired up, really over eager instigators. And instigators is the word my friend used. Um, of course, they didn't really instigate anything because there was only a hundred people or so left, spread out across a wide street, and it was curfew, so. The march was over and they didn't really know what to do. Boom, it's 801, riot police advance into the crowd. People freak out, people are scared, people start running. Cops start chasing people down, start throwing people on the ground to arrest them. Um, on the one hand, yeah, I get it. Legally speaking, people were in violation of curfew. On the other hand, it was a pretty heavy handed response to what seemed to be a small crowd that could have been easily dispersed. Um, and could have just been allowed to keep dwindling. If they were just allowed to keep going about their business, they would have continued to dwindle until no one was left, most likely. Unless you get, I don't know, unless hypothetically you get down to five people who just really, really were hoping that they could steal something somewhere and they, you know, like, I don't know, bust down a window somewhere and then, you know, get chased off. Um, I see some people, I, saw, I know some people freaked out on social media. You'll probably see some people prefer to quote unquote snipers on the roof. Um, they weren't snipers. They were police standing on the roof of a build of a building um, overlooking the rally. That's standard procedure. You could see those guys. I saw those guys. I was a little uneasy with them at first, and I think a lot of people were. But they were just standing there looking. It's standard procedure for them to just sort of like get a you know a bird's eye view. Um, I I kind of made some jokes about how one of the guys on the roof. Um, looked a little rotund i sort of thought of a few jokes in my head about you know like they got they got big chungus up there on the roof with the bird's eye view um what seemed to, but overall i'd say up until eight o'clock the police were doing a better job than anybody else anywhere in the country and even at eight o'clock 
they didn't launch tear gas. From what I heard, there was no tear gas, no flashbangs. People didn't disappear. People didn't really get badly hurt. A few people got arrested. And as far as I know, those people haven't, you know, like vanished into thin air like some people in Brooklyn um, have. And um, so overall, I'd say, so overall, vanished. Yeah, people are disappearing. People are getting arrested, and I guess they're not being given their one phone call. Uh, that's best case scenario. That's probably what's happening. Um, or maybe you know those people just you know they they just got arrested, and then when they by the time they were they got out, you know there was another protest, and they just joined. So the people who were waiting for them at home just didn't hear anything from them. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of situations for why that could happen, but obviously um, that's terrifying and scary. It shouldn't be happening. Um, I don't know, there was one specific, sorry, I don't know, it was just, just one last thing. That, as, of course, in contrast to Asbury Park, where the police, um, after arresting somebody, um, after somebody got, arre- somebody got arrested for something, I can't remember, earlier in the day, like the sun was still out. And... Um, people obviously freaked out a little bit about that. And the cop who was, I think the arresting officer, or maybe wasn't, um, he, he got his hands on the bullhorn and, you know, said like, listen, he is going to be released in a couple hours. All that's, all that's left is just a matter of paperwork. Don't worry about it. All of you are going to be, we're not stopping you right now at all. Just keep on going. And he gave a little spiel that I think a lot of cops have been giving around the country about how much they're supposed to be there for the community and how much they care. Um, and so, you know, the protesters, you know, they, they cheered when the cops said that. And, um, you know, at least there's, there's a, there was a level of communication. And I think the situation was overall, overall bar, you know, you know, on balance. This is arguably handled way better than things have been handled elsewhere. Um, did it end as kumbayaish as people would have liked it to? No. But then again, what were you planning on happening? Staying out past curfew. You're, you're setting things up for a confrontation. And when they, when they start arresting people, you know, you gotta pick, you gotta choose what strategy you're actually going for here. Are you, trying to be antagonistic in a sort of, in a good way. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And of course, being antagonistic, the police who have given you every accommodation throughout the day is a little questionable, tactically speaking, but um, overall, I mean, were you going to be antagonistic or are you going to be peaceful? Uh, sorry, you can. Yeah, no, it's totally okay. Just, I would like to say that as far as the curfews go, I am a bit skeptical as to the justification for for curfews because, you know, like at least theoretically speaking, like, there's there's no real reason to section off times of the day if you're not be allowed to be outside unless there's a real threat to public health, and which technically which, there is because 
pandemic. But well, not, but also, that should be at all hours of the day. You know, the, yeah, technically that's at all hours. As far as we know, it doesn't day. spread yeah. like faster at night or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there's um, that. And I think it's pretty clearly not related to the coronavirus at this point. Um, yeah, it's obviously it's not. Explicitly. But what, what we see is the problem with the curfews is it's kind of slippery slope. And I mean, it's kind of, we should kind of be aware of slippery slope arguments applied to all scenarios. But in this scenario, it makes perfect sense because we saw um, pol- or, uh, police, city government, whatever, in Santa Monica, California, instituting a 1 p.m. curfew. Yes. Which some um, people our age are just curfews, waking curfews, up. Yeah, curfews being, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, if I had a 1 p.m. curfew imposed on me today, I'm not going to lie. I think I would have been stuck inside literally the entire day then. Um, things are getting, and, and you know, as we were part of what, seemed, what happened yesterday, even with the way it went down at 8 o'clock, it was honestly a delight in a cakewalk compared to what I'm seeing happening around the country elsewhere. Yeah. I don't know what's happening in New Jersey right now, where somehow we're being like the least combative people in the country. Um, That's weird. As, as yeah, you're as, just see, tired of all like centuries of minor squabbles and whatnot. Centuries of New Jerseyans um, yelling at each other over um, you know pork and. <laughs> Over whether or not it's called uh, tailored ham or uh, I for pork roll, um, and you know, yelling about yell, fighting each other over what bagel place is better, and I, I don't know, challenging every New Yorker we meet to a fight because this is for the honor of the Statue of Liberty or something like that. Um, and Ethan, you know, you know, from talking to me, um, Jersey guys, we tend to be a little uh gonna be a little um feisty um sure. i don't know how we're holding it together right now um from what i know there was a protest in another town near me uh Keensburg, that went fine um and a protest in tom's river that went fine and that was after i heard like a couple rumors about the one in tom's river about people actually like spreading around rumors that like a riot was supposed to happen not just a protest um which um obviously as far as i know that isn't happening of course right now it could there there could literally be people's heads getting cracked open right now then i'm not aware but um it's much better than what's happening in louisville where the police just killed somebody it's much better than what happened in la where the police have been where's it chicago i think i think it's chicago actually where the police um, were heard on their scanner literally saying the Lat- let the Latin Kings loose. And they literally encouraged and then l- allowed the Latin Kings, a gang, to just start letting it rip on random peaceful protesters. Um, and the Latin Kings are obviously... No, I hear about that. That is... They are, it is a racialized gang. Um, so there's a lot of racism <laughs> towards Black people. And it built up in that gang. And what happened is they just <laughs> wailed on people and sort of being the shit out of people. And you heard on the Chicago uh, Police Department scanner, they were just going, let them go. Let them do it. Let them go. Let them have at it. They didn't, and they said, don't go near it. Don't get involved. Let it happen. 
which is insane. They basically deputized the gang as a paramilitary to put down a protest. Um, in Philadelphia, we saw a similar thing happen with white nationalists where the um, Philly PD basically gathered together a bunch of antagonist, like white supremacist antagonists who were trying to agitate against the protests, basically gathered them, them together and then unleashed them as a gang on um, the protesters later on. Um, we're seeing, obviously, in New York City, um, the NYPD has basically taken over the city, and Bill de Blasio apparently appears to be a hostage within his own city hall, um, because he they literally threatened the life of his daughter, and he can't help but continue to lie to cover their asses and sing their praises and say ridiculous things like an attack on a cop is an attack on all of us after, over the past few days, refusing to acknowledge the wanton abuse and violence that they have unleashed that finally resulted in somebody snapping and driving their car into a cop who is not even dead, they're slightly injured. Um, of course, Bill de Blasio's response was, uh, uh, um, you know, an attack on the police is an attack on all of us. We're New Yorkers. Um, okay, dude, we totally blink twice. Blink twice if you're being held hostage, if you're being forced to say that against your will, or if, if Bill Bratton is literally holding a gun to your daughter's head right now. Um, like, things, things have gotten nuts. Um, I saw that, I'm pretty sure it was Atlanta, where police shot a pregnant woman in the stomach with a rubber bullet and she miscarried in the street um they a man somewhere else lost an eye to a rubber bullet cops are blatantly ignoring their training when it comes to rubber bullets because if you look it up rubber bullets are supposed to be fired at the ground so that they bounce upward and lightly hit people we're seeing in all this footage that police are openly aiming them right at people and firing them from a much closer range than they are supposed to be. Things are getting way out of hand. And of course, Donald Trump, our, our illustrious president, is certainly not helping because he went on a call with all the governors and basically browbeat tried to browbeat them into unleashing their national guards saying that they need to quote um dominate dominate completely they need to be dominant um in the streets um and of course he keeps bringing up the insurrection act um and basically seems to be displaying absolutely no respect for posse comitatus, a princip the principle that um, the military should not be the police, that there should be a division between the two, that the, the law, that the domestic enforcement the blur of the law- It's been blurred for a long time. Just yeah, that line has been blurred for a really long time. time. Yeah, that line got blurred. That line has been blurred for a very long time. And that blur has been escalating, the escalation of that, um, deconstruction of that separation of that wall between um, police and military has been being broken down progressively over time by uh, Clinton, by Bush, um, by Obama, but Trump seems to be poised to just totally blow it all away. Um, he's talking about deploying the military, and as we know, he gave a horrifying speech um, talking about how our cities are falling into the hands of terrorists or something like that. Um, and then said that he the was... The governor refuses to accept an offer of a dominating National Guard. 
Uh, yeah, York. Republicans are suddenly talking about how New York is supposedly in ruins um, when every time anybody protests anywhere, the New York police department, the NYPD, New York's finest, decide to protect and serve the shit out of the people. Um, as in, you know, bashing their heads in, throwing them on the ground, dogpiling onto random people that they're trying to arrest for no reason, macing people in the face when they're uh, hitting people in the back of the head when they're walking away. Um, shooting people in the face with rubber bullets and mace, shooting someone in the face with a tear gas canister at one point. Um, they have gone totally, the NYPD is totally off the rails. They have totally ripped the, whatever leash was on them, they've ripped it off. They are, as far as I'm concerned, a paramilitary or a fascist paramilitary organization at this point. And Bill de Blasio is helpless to stop them. Um, when, what needs to happen is Andrew Cuomo needs to send in the National Guard to deem or to force the NYPD to stand down. If the National Guard has any role to play, that's what has to happen. Um, they've gone totally off the rails. They need to be ordered to be disarmed and stand down. And at, like immediately, they've gone out of control, completely unacceptable. Um, the, of course, I don't think the National Guard, if Andrew Cuomo deploys them, would be used for that purpose. But um, Trump, of course, was giving his horrifying speech. And in the background, you could hear explosions, booms coming from tear gas canisters and being fired at peaceful protesters um, in, on Pennsylvania Avenue to clear the way so that Trump could walk with a Bible to a church. I, I don't even really know what the hell to say to that. That's, holy crap, that's terrifying. That is, it was insane. Um, Echoes of 1933. The first thing that, yeah, the first thing that I immediately thought of was um, Sinclair Lewis, the author of the book, It Can't Happen Here. He wrote, he wrote this novel, It Can't Happen Here, in the 30s, before World War II had started, about... Um, the potential about a fascist movement rising up. It's about a guy named uh, Brazilius Windrip um, rising, suddenly emerging nowhere as a populist demagogue within the Democratic Party and pushing aside FDR and taking control of the party and um, becoming president and uh, forcing his way into office and exiling his Republican opponent. Um, and also pushing FDR into exile at one point, I think, and um, rounding up communists and socialists and anarchists in the concentration camps and all that. Um, and, and of course, persecuting Jews, that's all in the novel. And Sinclair Lewis wrote this whole book about it because the commonly repeated phrase that he heard people say was that fascism can't happen here in America. We love freedom so much. And so that's the title of the book. It, it can't happen here. And Sinclair Lewis on this topic is famous for having said, when fascism comes to America, it will come wrapped in a flag and carrying a cross. Usually for years up until Trump came along, I've seen that quote um, usually um, displayed in front of a picture of Sarah Palin that is quite infamous where she was literally wrapped in a flag around her. Um, like holding it over her shoulders and also holding a cross over it, um, like literally on the nose doing it. Um, but Donald Trump, of course, as we know, um, all I could think of 
when I saw him holding that Bible in the most awkward position, whatever, there's something wrong with him where he just physically cannot do things in the way that people normally do them. But um, holding his Bible up, it's my favorite book. Um, my favorite book. It's the only one that beats my book, of course. Um, he held it up. Um, and all I could think of was that. And I was immediately reminded of that quote and the image of him also like literally hugging and holding a flag, like, you know, groping it like it's his daughter and kissing it. Um, and all I could think of was that when America, when fascism comes to America, it'll come wrapped in a flag and holding a cross. And we're literally looking at the president basically threatening martial law in all of our cities in order to, in deploying the military after threatening to shoot people for quote unquote looting, um, spreading a narrative that supposedly these are all being spread, uh, that, that all these protests are riots organized by Antifa, paid off by George Soros. Um, and that all the radical left Democrats are letting it happen. Um, and I will just say, to add a different trajectory, President Bush, whoever was been clamoring to make a statement, past presidents, actually kind of surprising with his, uh, his wording here. He says, we know that lasting justice will only come by peaceful means. Looting is not liberation, destruction is not progress. That's to be expected. But we also know that lasting peace in our communities requires truly equal justice. The rule of law ultimately depends on the fairness and legitimacy of the legal system. Achieving justice for all is the dignity of all. And he also mentioned about how we have often underestimated how radical that quest really is. The quest is uh, about living up to American ideals, which is its whole other thing. This but is all typical. In my opinion, this is all sort of typical of George Bush. It just sounds much nicer that it's written down. It's not him and his stupid face saying it because, you know, yeah. he, he's an idiot and he can't really speak. Well, I do think it's interesting that he didn't have the main vein of his thing being the call to order, basically. Yeah, and but I think I would say that's typical. Surprised. I'd say it's all cheap words coming from the guy who deployed Blackwater to well, New Orleans, yeah. to New Orleans post Katrina. Um, I mean, the man destroyed an American city because they were black. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah. Let's let's not. Let's yeah, not let's not pretend. Yeah, we can't pretend. Um, George Bush loves saying nice things nowadays um, now that he's not president can't take heat for it um, yeah. but I would just say like I don't really know what else to say we know that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs was roaming around the streets of Washington supervising quote unquote um, the military or the police the DC National Guard or whatever if we give it a name Operation Themis yeah it's just Right? It's really scary. And the terrifying thing is that Democrats don't really seem to be able to offer any real response. Um, I mean, the Democrats in Minnesota are the ones who are at in the Democratic mayor of New York City, the Democratic mayor and Democratic governor of Minnesota are all in lockstep in all but word. You know, they're the ones who called up their, you know, they're, you know, the, the governor of Minnesota is the one who started talking about outside agitators spreading lies, blatantly lying about it, wow. mobilizing the National Guard. Um, it is a blatant lie. And we have, yeah, 
leaked reporting that FBI has found no evidence of Antifa involvement in the violence in Washington, which was the specific May 31st that Trump um, used justified designating Antifa a terrorist organization. Well, so yeah, of course, because kind of most groups that, even that they couldn't... are part of anti-fascist action are like you know, doing volunteer, like, social work, basically, providing p- hungry people meals and helping homeless people or whatever. 99% of what they do isn't black block action at protests that overwhelmingly tends to be in- heavily infiltrated. Um, sorry that I cut you off there. Kind of no, I'm just saying, I think that's, that's actually a big deal because, you know, you'd expect, you know, not saying that people should not be vigilant of all, because of course the threat of this president becoming a dictator is increasingly pertinent. Um, but if that was the direction things were going, at least it, if this is accurate, this is a leaked report to Ken Klippenstein um, on Twitter. If 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 they needed if they needed to have something. Well, maybe he doesn't think he needs any evidence, but they would definitely fabricate something. They're definitely, you know, they have an army of trolls on Twitter, as Nick uh, is certainly aware, who are, you know, trying to dig up as much as they can. So if they had anything, they would put it out. That's that's all I'm going to say. I'm not saying that they're on the side of justice or anything, but they, if they had something that they could really put out there to make a statement against Antifa or whatever, which Antifa is not even a real thing, if we really want to talk about it that way. Yeah, it's not a national, there's no national organization. There are a handful of groups, I think, at like local level, really, really small local levels, and they're really, really small groups that tend to be dedicated to like very specific things. Um, it's not a, it's, and they don't engage in terrorist activity. Black Bloc isn't terrorism. And they yeah. don't have a body count. Um, and Black Bloc isn't necessarily anti-fascist. It's something that was innovated by anarchists. Um, there are anti-fascist groups that are literally like, like in Germany, I know this is a big problem where they have groups that are basically just run by, there's anti-fascist groups that are quote unquote anti-fascist, but they're literally just run by Zionists who attack anybody who they accuse of being anti-Semitic. And that usually includes people who criticize Israel. Um, I know there are, um, and that has to do with the whole thing called anti, anti-Deutsche, which is a whole philosophical thing that I, we don't have to get into. But, um, and there's Antifa groups that are ran by, you know, liberals who happen to think that, yeah, being the shit out of fascists is a thing that you got to do, even if they're just liberals. And there are, and I know that there are like communists who hate Antifa groups because they think they're a bunch of liberal or anarchist uh, LARPers, you know, like it, it's a little more, it, it's not a like far left terrorist organization. By also, there's a funny, there's a funny dichotomy here where- And everyone who is promoting that idea, I hate to tell you, is a fascist or a fascist collaborator, a would-be quizzling who is simply trying to build up a justification for right-wing authoritarianism, for the emergence of what is essentially going to be a fascist military junta that tries to take over. 
Yeah, I mean, Trump is laying the groundwork for it. I, I don't want to be alarmist. I've said repeatedly that I think this alarmism about Trump and fascism I've, is, is what is going to, is, is a huge problem for the left that has hurt us, especially in the primary. But he's really made that really hard for me to call, for me to be anti-alarmist about it at this point. Yeah, well, I would just say that. So the thing is that you can criticize Antifa as much as you want, but the moment people come out in support of them as a terrorist organization, where they can be sent, anyone who's associated with that group can be sent to um, not even jail, but to, to Gitmo even without a trial, which first of all, at least in my personal opinion, should not be applied to anyone, even the worst people on it. I mean, even everyone should have a trial. I mean, even the Nuremberg trials, you know, happened. Like, this is, it's ridiculous that exists in the first place, but to apply it to a domestic group, to apply it to, to that is, that is, if you support the labeling of Antifa as a terrorist organization, that is, that is um, an excuse. Second point is that there's an interesting dichotomy here that's always um, evident on the right where Antifa are simultaneously an extremely coordinated, evil, all-powerful, insepid left-wing force that is ready to cripple our nation's cities at any time. And they're just a bunch of soy boys with skinny jeans drinking lattes in their mom's basement. So yeah. I don't really see how they can be both at the same time. Well, it's usual. Well, that is another trait of, you guessed it, fascism, just generally being in, just generally being prone to holding incoherent beliefs. I mean, every fascist movement in history has always had incoherent beliefs. Look at the Nazis. Um, the Jews are both subhuman, but they also run the world. Um, you talk about um, Italian fascists who, um, you know, uh, simultaneously um, are talking about how Italy was an oppressed nation in Europe. They were a proletarian nation opposed to the bourgeois nations of northern industrialized Europe. Um, and that, you know, Italy has a, its Catholicism was core to its cultural identity, yet, you know, a bunch of Italian fascists were secularists and atheists and agnostics and um, also wanted to be white supremacists, um, even though they did have this sort of weird inferiority complex when it came to their relationship to Northern Europe. Incoherent beliefs, incoherence. Is an in is an innate part of fascist belief systems, and when you are already having that, it's just easy to just move into the whole it, it, rejecting rational thinking, rejecting reason as a principle for as like a, on principle is like a key part of every fascist movement. Pretty much, um, they are will more than willing to adopt contradictory viewpoints when you've already adopted one insane thing. It's easier for it's easy for you to simultaneously imagine your enemy to be all powerful and part of this all powerful conspiracy that is overarching and shadowy and a cabal that has its hand in everything, has tentacles reaching out everywhere, but is also somehow run by a bunch of weak, you know, easy pushover pansy you know, weakling pieces of shit that you could stomp on into oblivion anytime you'd like. It's an inherent part of all these movements. 
and that is that that that's where we're at. <laughs> There's just this it's cognitive dissonance. The fact right? that members of Congress and, are openly bloodlusting on Twitter is people who another sign who, that who have been yeah, people with the legitimacy of the Republican Party around them. TPUSA, its creative director. Um, Benny, what the fuck his last name is? Um, Benny Jackoff. Was literally, yeah, Be- Benny suck my dick, whatever his name is. Um, but he's the creative director of Turning Points USA, an organization whose leadership hangs out with the Trump kids. Um, it's le- one of its top staff members was going around on Twitter, posting pictures of himself with heavily armed militiamen, heavily armed fascist paramilitaries, um, heavily armed fascist paramilitants, if you want to be more exact, um, tweeting about how he can't wait to ship off all the radical leftists to Gitmo where they can be tortured. Um, while, of course, Charlie Kirk is still tweeting about, like, I don't know, lockdowns violating civil liberties or whatever. Um, you know, jerk me off, Charlie. Fuck yourself, Chuck. Um, it's just... It, and, like, in that tweet, of course, you see he went from soy boy latte, soy latte sipping cuck boys or whatever, to terrorists and like antifa terrorists in like one in like one sentence and then saying like i want them all to be tortured to death um we had matt gates saying that he wants to hunt them down like the terrorists in the middle east um and it's it's insane it's insanity and of course it all goes hand in hand with donald trump quoting george wallace um saying that like he was going to you know when the looting starts and the shooting starts and talking about how um, he needs to. He wants to send in the military, and the um, national and the governors are being too weak with the national guard or whatever. We are just in a scary and terrifying situation. Um. um I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what were you gonna say? No, I um, lost the train of thought, Ashley. But no, I think. I think it's important to um, recognize that there's a huge relation between the way that these tactics of both legal and um, um, and um, in the field, whatever term you want to use, militarily, police-wise, enforcement on that physical level, but also the legal mechanisms that have been used to expand the U.S. empire overseas, the same kind of not just tactics, but ideology is a common thread at both at home now and abroad. And that is why it's so important to be critical. Well, I mean, obviously, from a basic humanity point of view, it's important to be critical of what happened overseas because people kill people, okay? The soldiers wearing the United States uniform committed atrocities upon atrocity upon atrocities of war crimes and some of the worst things you could imagine in places from Vietnam to Iraq to Latin America all across this world they did terrible things and that is 
despicable in its own right, but from your own self-interest, if you're someone who's probably in the US or maybe Canada that's listening to this, in your own self-interest, that kind of attitude towards other countries will eventually lead to that same attitude towards our own citizens because anyone that does uh -huh. not have power is a foreigner to them. Yeah, um, it's what Malcolm X said with uh, the chickens coming home to roost. Exactly. You know, when he said that, he was referring to how, you know, uh, he was referring to the JFK assassination. He was referring to how, you know, the United States assassinates world leader, assassinates people around the world, orchestrates coups around the world, overthrows uh, popularly elected leaders around the world, has them assassinated, put under house arrests, pushed into exile, etc. Um, you know, they assassinated uh, Lumumba in the Congo, uh, overthrew Mozadek in Iran, and he was put under house arrest for the rest of his life. Sure, and sure, forced forced uh, Jacobo Arbenz into exile uh, in Guatemala. Um, Sukarno, I forget what happened to Sukarno. I can't well, remember. Was, was he killed? Sukarno and Suharto, I was getting mixed up. Well, Suharto was the dictator. Was the dictator. Okay, okay, so Sukarno um, then, yeah. Did they kill Sukarno? I can't remember. They had definitely a heavy hand in his disposal, but I don't know if he was killed or if. Well, yeah. Um, whatever fate befell him, he was overthrown regardless with the support of the CIA. And then, boom, JFK was killed, um, according to some by the CIA, um, which makes the chickens coming home to roost metaphor all the more potent. But um, the. But that was that's what's happening here. You know, Chris Hedges talks about this a lot, where he says, you know, the methods of control of empire always return to the homeland. Um, and Michael Parenti says this too: the empire always strangles the republic, and that's what's happening here. The imperial police state is returning home, and it's destroying our country. It's destroying our democracy, whatever is left of it. You can even call it that at this point. It's destroying what's left of our republic, of our liberal political system. Which yeah, I mean, when, when Republicans tell you that they don't have a democracy, let's listen to them. Yeah, they hate democracy. They're pretty open with it. They've been open with it for a few years. They, they love to say we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. Not very constitutional um, anymore. Either. Yeah, that's we're heading in a scary direction. I don't really know what else to say other than that. Put in a place where basically, if the Supreme Court says it's legal, then it's legal. The Supreme yeah. Court is made up of some of the worst human beings on rich the asshole law bros from high school that grow up and they somehow are the arbiters of truth and justice in our democracy. It's actually ridiculous how much power the Supreme Court has. The Supreme and Court is ran by Catholic, is dominated by Catholic theocrats, most of whom went to literally the same high school together, two of whom are rapists, um, like known sex predators. Um, one, of, one of those two sex predators is also like a degenerate, it's a, like a crippling alcoholic with a degenerate gambling addiction, um, aka Brett Kavanaugh. Um, an absolute piece of scum. Absolute trash bag. Neil Gorsuch is just like, who went to the same high school as him. Um, not an accused sex predator, not probably, an not, you know, a probable alcoholic or gambling addict, but um, 
and Clarence Thomas isn't a degenerate gambler either. Uh, but um, they, but like Neil Gorsuch, um, Catholic theocrat who, you know, had his nomination bolstered by $12 million or something like that of dark money that came out of nowhere. The Supreme Court is entirely anti-democratic. It's one of those things where, you know, what's happening right now, we got to dispense with talk of the Constitution at this point, I think, because to quote um, Lysander Spooner, I think this is what I want to close with. Um, Lysander Spooner said, let me look this up. It's a quote on the con where he was talking about, um, I believe, slavery and the uh, what was becoming the Civil War. He said, the Constitution is either authorized such a government as we have had or has been powerless to prevent it. Yeah, Constant, basically, he was saying like the Constitution sucks because it either has, has led to what we have now or failed to stop what we have now. It's dead. The Constitution is dead. There's a hole in the. There's vast holes in the middle of it. It's been torched. It's ashes. All that's a matter. Of, all it's a matter of now is if Trump takes its fetid tatters that are left and shoves them in the garbage. That's all that matters. That's all that we're holding on to at this point. Yeah. Really a bummer to end on, but that is basically what that's basically what I'm leaving it at. That's all I've got to say at this point. Well, I would point, I would say if, if we had to take some kind of positive message from this, which we which we tend to like to do um in our episodes. You tend that, to you tend to be the one to provide this. Yeah, but I think I think it's a good way to close. But they are doing this because they're scared. They're scared that so many people are finally waking up how that system is broken. It doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to come fast, but it does mean that for once, you know, in the past, you know, a few decades, at least in my lifetime, there is something, something's different here. Yes. And you, you can see it and actually, and this is not to go all Jimmy Dore here, but the fact that Obama isn't president as compared to BLM and Occupy, there isn't any pretense of an ally to this movement in the White House or in you know, the halls of power in Washington. You know, people are seeing the, the truth here to some degree. Unfortunately, a lot of people are only seeing what happens in their TV screens. But I think a lot of young people that were already, fortunately, you know, trending left anyway, but are actually trying starting to be you know be involved and to care and to pay attention to this kind of stuff. This is going to come out of this, and no matter how hard they try, they can't put that down. Even if they, even if they go full fascist, they cannot they cannot put down the iron will of the people to survive. And with that, I think we should close. I think that was beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Goodbye, everyone. Stay safe out there. Stay safe and keep marching. Absolutely.